Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Impact by Choice. Today I'm going to have with me a woman that helped me out on my journey in the last months on LinkedIn, has been a really, really supportive person. Uh, we have actually tied a strong friendship, even though we're continents apart, even though we're, you know, seas apart, oceans apart. But um, this beautiful woman um, is also a true believer in the fact that ageism needs to be overcome. Um, she is a true supporter of people that are now trying to find their path and she dedicates her life to empowering others to see, to find that uh, potential that maybe they're not even aware of. So welcome Norma Kraft. Thank you very much for being with me today. Thank you so much, Andrade. I really appreciate you um, having me on and for your lovely introduction. You are so right. We have developed a friendship that would never have happened had it not been for LinkedIn. You're all the way in Romania. I'm here in Montana. And yet, you know, you feel like a second daughter to me. Oh, thank you very much. That's so kind of you. I know that you've made a great impact over my life because you've been so supportive, as I said. But since this series is called Impact by Choice, the first thing that I would like to ask you is, one, how do you feel about the power of choice? How are you in report with the concept of power of choice? I love that. I think that that is such a powerful um, topic because really, what do we have but choice? That is the one free gift everybody has. Nobody has to give it to us. We already have it. So many of us sometimes think that we don't have any choice, but we always have choice. And um, if for me, I see that when we have um, obstacles, especially in a career uh, aspect, that while we might think that if we get laid off or somehow become unemployed, I mean, you don't have to get laid off to be unemployed company can go out of business it can get sold many many reasons right but then you think that you have no choice because the marketplace is so difficult to get through but that's not true it's not true there's always a, an ability to make a choice and to make things different for yourself that is correct uh, I am in full agreement with you but talking about your um, you brought up the word career so talking about the career and taking the, the, the conversation a bit further on that, uh, on that level, how is it that you can help people, um, how is it that you can drive impact on other people's life with what you do today? Because I know that you, as I said, you're a fierce advocate of um, defending people from facing ageism. And you also... Um, have a background experience of recruiting. So from our talks, I know that you somehow merged them uh, into your present and uh, endeavor. So how, how is it that you can impact other people today? Well, very good question. I'm happy to tell you about that. I have come up with a hashtag campaign called Age Does Not Define Us because I don't think that age does define us. 
I'm not going to say my age here, but I am saying that I, I um, well, let's just put it that someone said, well, at your age, aren't you thinking of retirement? Uh, so not, so not. Um, I love what I do and I love helping people understand well, how they can take their talents and their abilities to translate them into either something else or how to circumvent some, not so much the system, but how to utilize the system in order to get the right job. You don't have the right job. It, it, it's, um, it's futile in, um, in your happiness. You should be joyful and happy and feeling that you are a solid contributor to whatever position that you have. And if you don't have that, you're cheating yourself. Um, and you're cheating the company because the company is not getting your best self. There's the right job for the right person can change lives. That is correct. And how do we determine um, how a person can find a right job? Is there any kind of, I don't know, assessment or practice that you have been putting in place over the years? Well, yeah, uh, my practice and my assessment is simply a conversation to really understand the person and to understand what their motivational drivers are. Um, a lot of times I would have people come in to apply for the job and my true uh, determination was to sort out, were they looking for a job or did their values align with our company? And they had often said that they had not been asked those type of questions before. But the reality is, is I got to know them. And I got to know what the company and the hiring manager were looking for within the team and what was going to make the difference for that team. Um, when a person is looking for a job and they have gone through a layoff or just have become unemployed, they go through a series of emotions and those emotions really have to be dealt with. So mm -hmm. I can help them walk through that. And this is the difference between having a coach and having a, um, a therapist. A therapist may not understand a career uh, and how that impacts your psyche. She can help you with emotions, but she may not understand the basis of those emotions. Whereas someone like myself, and there's many of us who can help you um, determine and move through those emotions of the loss of your professional identity. Your, um, how do you deal with those questions from family and friends? Well, have you found anything yet? Those things, you know, they can be demoralizing. How do you keep up your confidence when you feel like you have been uh, rejected? Right. All things have to be dealt with before you start moving into the job search. That's a really interesting concept. And if we were to, you know, provide right now um, one of the most important tips for a person that has been dealing with this kind of situation and is in a deep, uh, let's say, state of depression, because I think that we can fairly say that this kind of situation drives to depression. So if we were to advise a person in this kind of situation, uh, to navigate through their feelings, what would be your your greatest um, your greatest point that you want to transmit to them? Well, I've been there. I have been there. I've understood it. I always knew that these emotions come because from a, a second party, from my viewpoint of it. I had never experienced them until I was laid off, and 
the way that I was laid off was very um, mutually agreeable. It was not punitive. The company had been sold. That was the reorg. But I did not understand until I felt it and dealt with it myself, the impact of those emotions. And those emotions really need to be addressed. And the best way is to actually do a self-inventory. And I, I can help with that because I understand that. Um, I watched a quick show, not a quick show, but a, a movie yesterday about uh, the, the big final match between Bjorn Borg and um, John McEnroe. And one of the things both men had in common was their intensity of uh, the game. They were fierce rivals. They had a fierce, fierce competition. Both wanted to be the best. They kept on, they kept on, and they had that incredible four-hour match. And at the end of the day, on both sides, independent of each other, they were both telling their, the people around them, you don't know what it's like. You only tell me that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there and I'm going to do it. But you don't know because you've never done it. After the match, after the men had retired, both became very good friends. And why? Because they understood each other. They knew what it took to be on that court and have to, you know, they knew what it takes. Same thing with this unemployment. I understand. I know what it takes to get out of that depression and to find where your value is. What a beautiful story about the two tennis men. Wow. Amazing how we can be rivals on the battlefield of business, so to say. But then when we realize that it's not just the competition, but also the human factor, and we understand it, we can become good friends. Mm -hmm. um, now, the next question, though, will go towards the word competition. You as a recruiter, how do you find the competition to be? Should it be um, that kind of fierce comp competition of excluding each other? Or do you think that there is also a constructive competition that can drive better results within a company and the team? Well, I know someone who I admire very much and he doesn't believe in competition. He believes in collaboration. I welcome all recruiters. I, you know, we have 575 million people on LinkedIn. I can't place everybody, nor do I want to. I want to do a good and effective job if I was in recruiting. So I invite recruiters to connect with me. I invite people um, to job seekers. I am happy to refer them to other recruiters because I don't have the jobs. I have the thing or the, the programs to help you get ready for those jobs. So recruiters really want to be in connection with me because I have great people. And those great people, I can then re, uh, refer them to Dominica Weston, for instance. She places people for linguistics. Mm -hmm. If I come across someone in linguistics, I know who to refer them to. Carrie Pisoni. She has um, a great IT recruitment base. I have an IT person in the Chicago area. I know exactly where to send them. So there's many people like this throughout the country and the world. Someone from India, I refer them to Abhijit Joshi. He's amazing. And so there's so much collaboration that can be done within recruiting communities to help each other. And I don't know, um, I wouldn't say competition is um, 
the word, but I think that there is um, shared uh, information can help raise the value that each recruiter offers. That's interesting, this, this concept of shared information. But I know that in today's world, unfortunately, we're looking at each task as to, you know, um, with that, um, with that kind of obligation where we need to um, be the best, uh, provide the best results, uh, be the best team in a company, how would you advise someone that has, that, that feels this competition, that feels this competition as a pressure on their shoulders? Mm. So many candidates, many uh, people that already are going through a job, so to say, may feel a kind of pressure that they need to deliver maybe even more that they can. So what would be your advice to them? Well, I've led recruiting teams in the past and I have never um, wanted them to necessarily compete with each other. I wanted them to become experts within their own field, within their own um, tasks of um, direction. So I still hold through with the collaboration. And I learned that lesson very directly because I used to work when I first started out with someone who was very competitive. He's very technical. I was an IT recruiter and he would look to see who I had um, submitted. He'd look at their, their profile and then he'd go and find someone better. The thing is, even if they were more experienced on paper, they didn't often get the job because I had had the conversation with the candidates that I placed and they had something more than just the skills and the required skills. Mm -hmm. So uh, he taught me that, yes, of course, you have to be to an extent competitive. But what I got from the experience was that I had to be aware of those competitive tendencies from my own teammates and that does not create a solid team a solid recruiting team is when you are cohesive and learning from each other and I still hope no recruiter can know every little sourcing tool out there right. but you can share and I agree with you with what you say that today's world is very competitive but that's where I um I think that it has undermined our recruiting processes and our hiring process, that that pressure on these recruiters to have and meet such demanding metrics doesn't allow for them to build a human relationship and extrapolate it down to the team when that person gets onboarded, the one that the recruiter has quickly placed in there and submitted, and then they start working and then they both find, both the hiring manager and the candidate find out that it's not a good fit because the right questions hadn't had been asked at the time because there was no time. Then it's costly to the company, it's costly to the candidate and it's very costly to the recruiter. That is correct. Let me ask you something um, since we're keeping it on the recruiting side. How do you feel about the Automized system in recruiting because in the automation thing right now uh, a previous conversation with a um, a future candidate it's definitely not possible because I I've seen posts of yours where um, you talked about how 
you know, the, the automated system only selects um, a candidate based on a few criteria, right? But mm -hmm. as you said, um, an IT software cannot identify uh, the soft skills of a person, cannot have actually an interaction with the person. So, but still, unfortunately, people get, you know, uh, declined. They are not being even considered. So if you were, let's say, let's imagine a small scenario. If you're up there and the main person that can change this system of thinking, this system of um, driving results further on, what would you change first and foremost? The first thing that has to change in order to affect hiring processes is the leadership. The leadership is driving everything. So if the leadership is only about bottom line, you have to have that team because we have to produce that product in as fast and as cheap a uh, manner as possible, then you may not get the team that is going to stay with you for various uh, rollouts of that product because they will be get tired of um, having to perform to such a maximum, maximum performance level that they won't stay. The, the servant leadership model is something that I really line up for because it helps people to understand that the management, the leadership, is leading and providing inclusivity to all the workforce. And that doesn't mean that they ask everybody in every team to contribute to the leadership decisions, but it does invite discussion. And when you have that discussion, then you start to hear what the workforce is really about. In talent acquisition, it is more than just reading, uh, reading uh, recruiting. It is more about how the workforce is managing and working in the uh, organization and how does it contribute to that organization and for its sustainability. If you have teams that are well-defined and well-organized um, and well-led, they, they will optimize your production. But without a change in the leadership, it, it does, you can't just say that a re, one recruiter is going to change the hiring process. It won't happen. The leadership has to understand where the hiccups are. That is correct. But unfortunately, you know, every business tries to cut costs as much as possible. So what can be done from this perspective, considering the fact that you want to have good employees, but you also have to, uh, you also want to have low costs. So what do you think that a leader should consider, first of all, in order to merge the two? The first thing I would is ask the, ask the teams. Ask them what they would think would be the most effective. Best hires I've ever made have been referrals because they, they are referred by people from within the company who know what we're looking for, who know what the company culture is like, who know that perhaps this uh, person that they're referring to would be a really optimal fit for the company. You need to ask and engage with your workforce to try to have everything to be cut down to affecting the bottom line is a short-sighted way of approaching business. With a longer vision, with a longer approach, you can have a workforce that has high level of retention, satisfaction, and productivity. It, it's all rolled into one. 
Okay, and and even further on a bit, how does ageism um, get involved in within the workforce? How does it impact, you know, the um, let's say the homogeneity of a team? Well, that's that's the million dollar question, isn't it? I mean, how much time do we have? Um, ageism. Well. Right now, when you ask some hiring managers, why are they always hiring the 20 and, and not even 20, sometimes in their teens, but nevertheless in their 20s, um, uh, employees, when they have had not very much experience and they have come back with saying that they are so aware of technology, they have a, an open-minded attitude towards technology. Even if the technology is not yet in place, these are young people that have that. Uh, an openness towards it. And that is very, very, um, very contribute, a, a strong contribution to an organization for sure, no doubt. However, the, the 40 year old, the 50 year old, the 60 year old within your company has already experienced so much of what that company has done and has built and has a, understands the history of the company in a way that no 20 year old is going to understand. Um, I had a, I worked within a company that was considered like a bluebeard company. It's a term for people having been there more than 20 years. Fantastic company, wonderful culture, terrific camaraderie among the employees. And yet, you know, I did a succession plan and I started to see, oh my gosh, entire teams were going to be retirement age ready within five years. What can we do? So I started internship programs. And I remember the older engineer said, oh, my God, we're going to be babysitting all summer. Mm -hmm. I said, just try it. So we brought in four interns who the engineers chose out of uh, job fair um, invites. And um, they came in. They worked with the engineers. They were still in school. They were juniors. And they were able to cut out steps in very antiquated um, processes so the senior engineers were excited about that the young interns were so excited about what the products were because they were very inventive it's a aerospace company and it was really uh, cutting edge in that direction of the product itself and what it could do but they didn't have the processes at that time that were as up-to-date as the interns were able anyway long story short at the end of the summer, I asked the engineers, what did you think? They said, hire them and hire all of them. So after they graduated, we did. We ran the program for two years. We hired eight people out of uh, 10 people that we brought in as interns. Highly successful. And the biggest part, the biggest uh, non-tangible was the camaraderie and the morale, the, the dynamics that were stirred up within the company. It was great. Okay, so the... The old employees, so-called, the old employees, right? Um, and the new ones actually got to get along very well, right? Very well. So it's possible if we want and if we're open to learn from each other and if we're open to, um, you know, even the old ones to see what the, the fresh air of the new ones can bring for a company. So we shouldn't not even hear, should we exclude each other? right? Oh, absolutely. If you're looking for new hires and you're looking at a candidate that is more seasoned, 
you should really understand that that older uh, worker can bring loyalty, their path, um, hard work, they have work ethics that are amazing. Um, they are, um, what do I want to say? I want to say that, oh, sorry, I just lost the train of thought. Don't worry. Um, so you're saying that they have loyalty, they have ethics? Yeah, okay. And they also have um, understanding. They're more willing to be mentors. They are not necessarily climbing a corporate ladder, but they can help those star performers that are a little younger to climb that ladder because of an, by setting an example. They have a wealth of experience. If we don't include older workers in our workforce, the ramifications that will happen in our workforce is going to be seen and felt for generations. My grandchildren will have the effects of that ageism. Right. Um, unfortunately, it is so. And, but, but on the other hand, we're looking at automating everything. We're looking at building robots. <clears throat> and a lot of people are afraid of losing their jobs. On the other hand, um, being well somehow in the area, I can say that um, whether that we have robots in place, that doesn't mean that people need to be you know, taken away, but they have a chance to improve other skills, such as analysis or, um, I don't know, uh, business management or things that a robot will never be able to, to do. But what, what is your take on this very topic? How do you see the, the technology coming from behind with <clears throat> all these new concepts? How do you um, see that this will impact the employees that are now working in a company and they may have been loyal for 20 years, for, for example? Well, again, you bring up the most topics that could be taken for hours to answer, but I would <laughs> only say quickly that um, automation will never, ever replace human. human I that too. In human intelligence, human heart, soul, uh, empathy, sympathy, curiosity, creativity, innovation. Now we are having all these uh, innovative technologies and it is changing the workforce where that it will take some of the, um, the mechanical and the uh, tactical skills and do them. But um, overall, I think it's an opportunity. You know, this is what I got out of that book. Adversity is an opportunity to reinvent yourself and adversity doesn't need to be an adversity. It may be the impetus to move forward into a different direction, just like it has helped me move into a different direction. And I have grown personally and professionally in what I do because of what I had thought was an adversity. I think that there's going to be more entrepreneurship. I think there's going to be a much, much more innovative and collaborative society in, the, in, in work overall. So do you think that this can actually impact people in a beneficial way by enhancing creativity, so to say? 
Yeah, I do. I, I also see the globalization of uh, effort from humans can really override all the technical robotic um, uh, inventions. Those can be good. They can really help. They've helped in medicine. They've helped in, in the surgical wards. I mean, there's so much that can be done now with robotics that there's no question. But that will never replace the heart. How do you replace? You can replace a heart, but not replace the emotions. You Correct. can't replace the creativity. That resides in our human brains. And as we, we have so much to do in this world. We have starvation. We have droughts. We have war. We have so many of the things that are, that are still present that were there 20, 30, well, centuries. Uh, they're still there. So we need to get to work. And how can we do that? We can only do it by working together. I like that. That's wonderful. A, a, a brilliant, you know, approach of, um, as you said, adversity versus... Um... <laughs> <laughs> adversity. It, it becomes opportunity. That's a brilliant approach when it comes to, um, you know, how... Humans can actually collaborate with the artificial intelligence. Um, I, I want to take this a bit on another side. And since you told us about, you know, all these things that unfortunately happen on um, various continents, various countries that which are starvation and other, uh, other situations that deprive people of a... Um, joyful life or even a decent life uh, if you haven't been a recruiter or if you could have all the money in the world which would be one cause that you would choose to support and how would you do that oh, such a, you make me think <laughs> you make me think very hard I like that <laughs> yeah I do too um, let me think though um, I think that if I was to choose uh, with no restrictions at all, I would help children, children all over the world, children that are needing just a sense of balance and civility and humanness. There are so many children that are living without any of those things, without guidance, without education, without proper food and water. I can't talk about it too much or I could start to cry, but that's where I would put my efforts. I have six small grandchildren and I marvel at what you learn in the first few years of their lives. And I say that they're learning, but they're teaching me about their humanness. What, when each baby is born, they are born with this hope of, of humanness. And when, it, when they are in these terrible and traumatic and very extreme uh, situations, it's taken from them piece by piece. And I want to fight against that because it is just unconscionable that we live in a world with so many uh, intelligent and brilliant people that we can't solve this. We should be able to solve it. No child should be hungry. No child should have to sleep outside. No child should be in fear. And if you, if you had all the options at hand, how would you choose to do that? What would well, be your I would, way of supporting this? Well, if I had all the money that 
for instance, uh, the very dear um, Paul Allen had, and he had contributed like 30 million to the homeless in Seattle. Wow. Um, he, he was an amazing man. He made a lot of money and he used that money to help others. And that's what I would do. And how would I do it? I would have to have a team, as he did, to help me understand how I would be able to be the most effective. Sometimes just giving the money, could, it could fall in the wrong hands. And I would want to ensure that it did not. I would want to ensure that, you know, I had seen that wonderful, amazing video that Chinadu spent his birthday taking mm -hmm. socks to, his, to the school. Right. I mean, it's simple. It is very simple. Why can't we also give those children shoes? Why can't we also join together as a collaborative movement to help? And, and I would choose children. So I would need a team to help me uh, move forward and, and have a constructive and effective campaign for those children. So you would choose to branch and try to cover as many unfortunate kids as possible in as many um, as many countries that you would you could involve with right but if you could choose your team person by person what would be the first thing that you would look for into them oh well definitely I would have to know them and I don't mean just meet them I would have to know them I'd have to know what their motivational drivers are to be part of this so far, the people that I've met on LinkedIn have shown so much heart. Everybody has a, has a story. Everybody has a, um, something that motivates them to continually move forward. If you move forward on LinkedIn or not, if you move forward in your content, if you move forward in your... Um, in your videos, whatever cause you choose, everybody is moving some way in some dimension. Mm -hmm. And I would want to know the, those people and what drives them before I invited them into the organization to try to create great change. But you know, you throw a pebble into a pond and it causes ripples. Correct. So you have to choose the right pond in which to throw that, that pebble. You have to choose who, um, what, where are those ripples going to flow out to? That is correct. But you, you said that you have six um, grandchildren. I want to take this discussion a bit on the more tangible way. So okay. if you were to tell us what was the greatest lesson that any of them has taught you so far on a personal level, on a human level, what would that be? Oh my goodness, I watched the youngest grandson from the day he was born till today, who now he's a, a year old, and I've watched him learn about the world, and always with a smile. He doesn't have fear, he doesn't have, all his needs are met, he's the happiest baby I've ever seen, and his he is just so beautiful and his eyes are so clear and he just kind of goes with the flow. He knows that everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be fine. All his needs are going to be met. He will have a warm place to sleep that, that night. He will have food to eat. 
he will be held, he will be loved, and he, without even being aware of all those things, he is. He just breathes and be. And he just has this wonderful, courageous little heart that keeps trying to do more. And I look at that in terms of me. And he was born last September 27th. And then in January, I started my own business. And then right about, as you know, an entrepreneurship goes up, down, up, down. It's a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And around about the early summer, I started getting fear. And I spent time with him, and I watched him, and he has no fear. Even when he tries to crawl and he can't get there, he doesn't have fear. He doesn't have frustration. He just keeps trying. So for me, I took my lesson from him. Okay, you just got to keep trying. You got to keep going. Who's going to help you? Who's going who's gonna to be there? Somebody will show up to pick him up. Somebody has always shown up to pick me up. It's been a very, very valuable lesson. That's interesting. And it's in, indeed a very, very valuable lesson about never giving up, about, you know, having this uh, spirit of a fighter. And he proves it from such, uh, such a tender age. That's amazing. And I'm really happy that you're learning this from him because fear is that thing that can stop us from, from seeing beyond, from actually understanding what's going on within us. And it can also be uh, one of the things that stop us from moving forward. So yes, I agree that that's an extraordinary lesson that your grandchild teaches you. So you're well, I, have, I have another really quick one. It's just the other day, we're having a beautiful Indian summer day. It's in the evening. My granddaughter wants to learn to do a cartwheel. Now I know better than to try to teach her exactly how to do the cartwheel, although I used to be a cartwheel queen, I have to say. But um, she was so excited. She had her grandmother on one side and she had her mother on the other. And we were both encouraging her. And the, the, the snapshot picture that I take from that moment was her glowing little face in the sunshine, just feeling so supportive. And that's how I feel on so many levels with the friendships and the people that I know and I meet on LinkedIn. And, and not just in LinkedIn, but, you know, my friends, my family. Um, I feel like I'm still that, that child smiling with joy in the sunshine. That's such a beautiful picture. And that also tells us about, you know, the security that a kid has deep within that as you said they know that they they know that their needs will gonna be met and nothing wrong can happen but the the picture that you gave us it's absolutely astonishing wow wonderful i would want to add that the <laughs> element that i learned from my granddaughter was approach things with joy joy has the ability to transform a task from being mundane to being an expression of love. Wonderful. Oh my God. I, I so like, I, wow. I'm, I'm speechless. I really like this one. It's, it's a wonderful lesson that you gave us. 
Okay, so making maybe a par parallel between uh, the lessons that you learned from your grandchildren and the business that you're trying to grow. Um, is there anything that you can take from your grandchildren and implement into your business, transfer it? How does your business look today? How, how did you take it from scratch and actually grow it? First thing, I approach it with joy. I truly do. I love the people that I'm engaged with and, and, and working with. My clients are exceptional. The, um, the, the hope that I have to helping so many people is becoming real. And what I've learned from my grandkids is just like they, they are definitely believing Santa Claus is coming. Santa Claus is coming, uh, the Easter Bunny comes, they have no doubt that these will show up. The same with myself in business. I have no doubt that I'm going to be able to provide a true value to people that are really needing help. And I would have loved to have found someone like myself when I was going through it. Because um, it's, it's a hard road to, to walk alone. If you have someone to help you, you can get farther with less suffering and less pain, and you can have more focus, clarity, and you can take an action that actually means forward movement. And talking about action, what would be one that single step that you would advise anyone that is looking for a job to take? Don't think that your job right now, if you're working, is infallible. No one has to, um, no one is safe. No one cannot be replaced. Things happen in a nanosecond, things change. So the first thing that I would say to anybody, working or non-working, is believe in change. Change happens every day with, with no forewarning. So be ready for that. And how do you be ready? Always have an active network. Do not ever think you can't get anywhere without a network. It's your network is where you're going to find the jobs. Your network is what's going to um, tell you about another job that they just heard within their company that, oh, you know what? I heard this team is going to be hiring. You'd be perfect for it. That kind of thing happens all the time. Great advice, Norma. Thank you very much for, you know, all the effort and all the time that you have put into answering the questions for this interview and actually bring us some clarity when it comes to recruiting from all sides, both from, you know, the candidate, but also on the, the recruiting company side and for, you know, bringing us a bit more details about ageism. So I am really, really grateful that you accepted to be my guest for today. Thank you so much. It's been uh, a joy, you know that, to be able to talk with you and to feel uh, comfortable. I enjoyed this process. Thank you, Andrada. Thank you again, Norma. Have a lovely evening. Bye. Bye.